0: This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen, on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. So, good evening. It's long enough since I came here to give a talk. I have given talks here in the past. But it's long enough since I've done that, that it has a quality of newness to it. And I, I was enjoying, you know, watching, you know, what happens here. Where do people sit? what What's, what's the disposition? And, and part of my mind was then comparing it to the, the San Francisco Zen Center. Well, we do this. Huh? We bring the bell at the start. Hmm? Last fall, I led a retreat with Gil, and uh, and he didn't ring the bell at the start, and I did. <laughs> but we still managed to uh, <laughs> lead the retreat together. Um, you know, one of the central themes, maybe arguably the central theme that ties the different Buddhist traditions together despite um, the the, the way they present the teaching may vary, the practices they do may vary, Uh, how they dress (laughs) (laughs) may vary. Uh, It's the notion of taking refuge. So that's what I'd like to talk about this evening. And I, I was inspired to talk about it by uh, someone coming to talk to me, you know, in, our tra- in the Zen tradition, we, we have periodic um, interviews or exchanges around the Dharma, uh, one-on-one. And, and this person came to me, and she has been coming to Zen Center for a couple of years, you know, taking classes, meditating regularly, doing some more intensive sitting retreats, or as we call them, sashins. And she came to talk to me, and she said, looking a little bit sheepish, she said, "Um, I've sort of fallen in love with practice. You You know, a sophisticated woman, you know, being a psychotherapist, actually a psychoanalyst for over 20 years, and um, somewhere, I don't know, mid-40s, mid-50s, somewhere in that range, I think. <laughs> um, but somehow when when she made this statement, this proclamation, there was this kind of look of um, innocence. Um, joy, uh, trust, and and it, and it set me thinking. You know, what, what is the alchemy that occurs for us that brings us into that state, that that way of being, that, that just our involvement. Our commitment or trust or wish to immerse in just sort of flows you know? You know, you, you, the, the and and how that to my mind and it would be lovely to hear how it is for you. <laughs> to my mind, that's very close to taking refuge. You know, there, there are many reasons we can take up practice. You know? um, in everything from um, a response to the ways in which uh, our life feels out of balance or afflictive. You know? To the way in which um, there's some resonant sense of integrity or virtue or morality that arises for us in relationship to the Buddhist teachings we've been exposed to. Mm. Or something in the process of sitting. Some way in in which consciousness settles, attunes. All of these things. Hmm? Or one of these things, hmm? and I would say each one of us has our own path through these. You know, maybe for one person, one is paramount, you know? and and it prov- it provides the the influence, the motivation to engage practice, and then maybe for another person, it's quite different. And one of the things you learn as a teacher is is that very thing, you know. There's a whole variety of ways in which people come to practice. There's a whole variety of ways in which people sustain their practice. Huh? But in the midst of that, those variety of ways, there's also some kind of constant theme, some way in which involvement becomes attractive. And in some ways the very process of meditating, the very process of mindfulness is just this. Engaging in a way where involvement in the moment becomes attractive. You know, so to the degree that it's not so much a determined effort or a disciplined effort. It it becomes more of a giving over. Yeah. In, in in the in the Buddhist teachings, you know, it, as attention ripens into concentration a steady attention this is a good translation for the word samadhi. It's a steady or continuous attention. And then it ripens into an immersion. The this, this, this same way our involvement can come from intention. Oh, this is a good thing to do. And, and it, what comes with that intention is a resolve a discipline, a commitment. And then as you engage it and it ripens, something is experienced and in that experiencing rather than being drawn forth through discipline, it's more opening to something more akin to devotion. Or is this person, so wonderfully put it, like falling in love. Like there's, there's an attractive proposition that's deeply appealing. Yeah. That we're drawn in. For whatever set of reasons, the alchemy of our own being in combination with the practice, with the dharma, with the sangha, brings something forth. In, the, um, in Japanese, the, 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 the term refuge uh, is translated as kie. And the ki uh, translates as fully committing or giving over to or fully investing in and the E at the end is that which can be relied upon or trusted, so giving over to that which can be trusted huh? and how is that established? I would say in endless ways, but I would say something in the process of practice is asking us to discover that. Not so much as some um, dogmatic principle that we think we should adhere to. Yeah. Not not so much some discipline that if we're a good person doing the right thing for the right reasons this is how it'll be but but more getting in touch with the nobility of our own spirit getting in touch with what brought us into the proximity of practice You know, one proposition I. It, so, in, in this end process, taking refuge, you, you sew uh, a garment like this. And, and then you have a ceremony. Ceremonies are wonderful, they're a crystallization of a process. You know, you, you, you crystallize it into a moment of symbolic expression. You know. You you have a relationship with someone and you decide to get married, you know? And then you, you have these little symbolic gestures. Yes, I do. You know? Okay, well put the ring on that finger. We just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're in the midst of that, you know, that moment, that act, that very symbolic gesture, you know, reverberates through your whole being. No. Because, I would say, it involves us, it draws us in, and we give ourselves to it. No. That this is the process of love. No. And... And there's romantic love, and there's spiritual love, and some part of the alchemy is similar, and then some part of it is just is quite different, you know. Um, although uh, some, sometimes um, part of the vehicle of your spiritual love may be a living teacher or some. Shakyamuni Buddha, or some principle of practice. Um, So, in the Zen tradition, we 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 we've crafted a process, and part of one part of the process is honoring the teachers. So often I would say to people, think of when you were a child. Think of the people who made a big impression on you. Mm. What was the quality, the character of their being that impressed you? Mm. And, and what was the teaching that you got from it? Mm. Because usually, that's where something very fundamental, you know, that's where someone demonstrated to us kindness. Huh? That's where someone de- demonstrated to us acceptance. No? And, and those other simple but profound qualities that nurture the nobility of our spirit. Uh, and that set the stage as we become more thoughtful and thinking and rational. Set the stage for how we consider the path of practice. You know? Whether we consider it primarily a religious activity or a humanistic activity or however we consider it. And and the style of Buddhism that we practice, you know, I I would say, you don't have to agree, but here's what I would say, is an attempt to get at something fundamental. that, That we adapt various ways of being, you know, the very process of meditating together, having Dharma talks, and having Dharma Espanol and all, the, all these I mean, social engagement, all these events that we craft together in our shared commitment to practice, that they rest on something. And in the traditional language of Buddhism, we'd say they rest on taking refuge. Huh? And... Um, and then in the Vipassana, there's not much uh, ritual in, in in a formal traditional or classic sense, Buddhist sense, you know. And then in the Zen school, we we have more. You know? and, and Gil and I, one of the things we have in common, we've both practiced in both schools. And, and uh, and I have found in myself that the taking refuge is the is the common thread, huh? and and that there's no um, there's no way you can say, and this is it, this ceremony, or this convention of practicing together is it in contrast to some other way. It's more something within our being. And when I read this poem, that's what came up for me. This is a poem by William Stafford that he calls, The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change. But it doesn't change. People wonder about what you're pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it's hard for others to see. While you stay close to it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. You know, the word sutra and the word sutra, you know, and the the core of the is of both, is thread. Hmm. You know, the sutra, the thread that flows through the dharma. I don't know if that's what inspired the poem, but it is indeed the word sutta, the word sutra. It's um, the thread. Um, So, how to attend to that within ourselves? To remember something of that quality when we come to practice—that this is the the aspiration and the expression of the nobility of our spirit that when we come to sit it's it's not some imposition on our being, you know. It's the recollection, it's the recollecting of that which moves and motivates and guides our life it's not that there isn't discipline and commitment it but when discipline just the same way when we relate to each other with some uh, warm and generous feeling it's not that we're always going to agree but when that connectedness is there you know, the vicissitudes the afflictions the tragedies of our human life don't become sharp edges that cut us and wound us and separate us and leave us feeling like well I'm never going to talk to that person again yeah. Or I'm never even going to talk to myself. you know one of the things I do as a teacher you know is sometimes uh mediate in interpersonal difficulties, and we actually teach each other with we you know conflict resolution and i I don't know if Gil has taught it here or brought in people. But one of the things you do in conflict resolution, very simply, you get this person to speak their truth and you get this person to listen deeply. And, and in one style of process, you get them to repeat back. Could you tell them what they just said? Did, did I get it right? Yeah, well, they missed this. Okay. And then you reverse it. And I remember recently I was going through this process. And and watching, initially, the two people were charged. You know? They had issues with each other. This was not a celebration of love. This was a... You know we were brought together by conflict so they had a charge it was hard to listen there were emotions fueling that charge negative emotions <laughs> but as they took on the listening uh, they re- they discovered I was going to use the word realized, maybe realized, they realized they were bearing witness to another human being who had experiences different from theirs, who had ideas and emotions different from theirs. And as they bore witness for each other, that which separated them seemed to dissipate in its conviction some kind of mutual appreciation and in the very process of doing that, they were both settling, you know they were both less caught up. In the affliction of their difficult emotions, they they were less committed to the process of staying separate, of staying antagonistic. Um, And it set me thinking. In a way, meditation is doing that with ourselves. You know, you you bear witness to what comes up. You listen deeply and intently. No. And something in the very process of doing that is a reconciliation. No. You know, why do our stories repeat themselves? Because in a way they haven't been fully listened to. No. Like when we fully listen and take in and feel the suffering that goes with that story. That's repeating itself. That that quality of unfinished business starts to dissipate. Mm-hmm. So this is mindfulness, mm-hmm. and and the pro- engaging in the process nurtures. The trust facilitates the connectedness and helps bring about the quality of settledness. So be it. I had thought of doing an exercise, but honestly, I think it would be a little chaotic in the limited period of time we have. But I'll tell you the exercise... Maybe we could do it like this. Here's what the exercise is. I don't know if you've ever done repeated questions. Is it a familiar process with any of you? yeah. Repeated questions are very interesting. The same question. And you answer. Then you set aside that answer. Then the question. And then you answer. And then you set aside. So... Maybe you could just repeat this question silently to yourselves. You just close your eyes. And then the knack of it is you want a concise answer. Don't don't go off into, you know, a long anecdote or narrative about your life. Well, it all started when I was... (laughs) Well, in a way it did, but... (laughs) For the sake of the exercise, come to the conclusion, you know. Um, There's something akin to that process of mediating, of listening deeply to who you are, to what you are, to what what comes up. And the and the question is this the question is how do you suffer? Yeah. Like we all want to love we all want to be loved we all want the, the, the feeling of intimacy and connectedness the, the communion of shared values and commitments yeah. none of us came here this evening well, I think looking for separation or, or conflict uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't resonate with this nobility of spirit that we aspire to. And yet, something interrupts. Something pulls us into conflict anyway. And in a very very broad sense, you know this is the realm of dukkha. This is the realm of suffering, you know. And it brings up in us, you know, the impulse to separate, the impulse to, um... to pull back, to compare, to criticize. to push against. So let's try this. We'll try this for a couple of minutes and I'll ring the bell at the end. And don't worry if it's, it's, you know, usually I would offer you more sort of intro and path, psychological path into it. But just ask yourself silently how do i suffer and then a word a phrase as best you can this crystallization this conciseness you know how do i suffer i feel sad how do i suffer i get frustrated how do i suffer I worry about difficulties. Just for a couple of minutes, just let that question rattle around and see what answers appear. I have to say, I think that was way too short a time and way too abrupt an introduction, but I hope it offered you something. Um, to come into this bearing witness relationship with how we suffer. You know, I would say it's not for nothing that it's the first noble truth. You know? That, this, that in our suffering there is the quickening of that which stands in contrast to the deep wish within us to open, to connect, to be intimate, to allow the, the ready expression of the nobility of our spirit to see and accept and take in the nobility of the spirit of others. And our suffering gets entangled with that, inhibits it, preoccupies us in a way that that is quite literally forgotten. Um, disturbs us, agitates us, It that stimulates a contraction, a separation. Mm-hmm. And who of us doesn't know that in long-term relationships these two get intertwined? Sometimes in disappointing or and or perplexing and frustrating ways. Yeah. And in the realm of practice, can this vow, this engagement of taking refuge, can it uphold not only The virtuous conduct of our noble spirit can it also uphold a patient and kind relationship to our suffering? You know, can can it can that be? You know, can the very vulnerability and humanness of our being, in in its limitations. In, in its contracted response to suffering, can that be held too? Huh? And I would say that meditation is putting these two together. Yeah? This, can, can we sit with a trust in being what we are, who we are, how we are, can can we sit and let something ripen and settle and open can we sit and hold the agitation distress affliction disappointment frustration of a suffering life Mm -hmm. and can we sit with them both which which either one appears, huh so be it. Yeah. each time we come to sit, can we bring that kind of uh, involvement? This period of meditation will be whatever it will be. Maybe it'll be serene, huh? Maybe it will be tumultuous. Maybe it will be about bearing witness. Recently I was doing a guided meditation with someone. uh, And I was guiding them into settling. And in the settling, deep sadness. And in the deep sadness, a sense of release. And as the person came out of the meditation, there were tears flowing down their face, and they were smiling. Meeting our suffering is the path to releasing our suffering, is the path to supporting and sustaining the vow of taking refuge. Hmm. And, and, and this is the subtle play of meditation. This is the, play, this is the involvement of mindfulness. How it arises is how it arises it's the product of endless karmic conditions but as William Stafford the poet says some thread of continuity in yeah. each time we come to sit each time we return to mindfulness to remind ourselves you know The word sati, part of the root of the word sati is to remember. To remind ourselves, so be it. So be it, this is what is happening now. Mm -hmm. Whether it's sweet or afflicted, so be it. I'll read this poem again the way it is there's a thread you follow it goes among things that change but it doesn't change people wonder about what you're pursuing you have to explain about the thread or not (laughs) but it's hard for others to see when you stay close to it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the threat. So, taking refuge. Tender, careful attention to your own being. Mm. What helps you? What inspires you? What draws and quickens your involvement? Mm. Are you inclined towards a more religious perspective, a more humanistic perspective? You mean, is is it um, the literal integrity of the Buddhist message and principles that appeals to you? Is it some quality of presence that you've tasted, that you've grown to trust and appreciate and like to return to that quality and re-engage it? Whatever your dharma gate, whatever your dharma path, so be it. To return to the intimacy of meeting the moment and letting that intimacy support the frailty and difficulties of human life. This is the common thread of the Buddhist The many, many Buddhist sects we take refuge. And on that note, (laughs) we end at nine, right? (laughs) Okay. Um, I don't know. Um, two questions, if there is such uh, an interest. Anyone have a question about anything I said? Or are you satisfied with it just as it is? <laughs> okay, well so be it. Thank you for coming. <laughs>